Welcome to the first season of our podcast Marginal Cuts where we discuss debate and decode various dimensions of a topic through the lenses of economics. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Marginal Cuts co-hosted by Ayman Parshad and me Shak. Today we take a deep dive in the mighty Asian economics and decipher the reason behind their checkered past and their glorious future. So if we talk about Asia the home of 60% of the world's population they have uh, kind of had a very rich history generally as well Yeah I mean before European commerce colonialism and exploitation began Asia was loaded Asian countries like India and China alternated in being the largest economies in the world right from the 1st century to the 1800s I mean if you think about it an entire continent was accidentally discovered just because Europeans wanted some spice in their life. <laughs> yeah, which Asians were loaded with. Yeah, Babu was uh, regarded as the black hole. But when you think about it I think we were too kind on the Brits. You know, they just colonized our wealth, history, even our culture and then left us on a tinderbox. But After 1947 there hasn't been something you know in particular which transformed India's economic structure like that of other uh, Asian nations but if i had to pinpoint uh, lpg did work wonders for us so did the green revolution yep uh, actually the green revolution sort of ended india's reliance on food imports and uh, the lpg policy also uh, certainly acted as a sort of rocket fuel for the economy which uh, propelled it forward and freed it from the shackles of the license raj which in my opinion was quite necessary for growth also guys did, did you know that almost 4 out of 10 scientists at nasa are indians i mean that is something that we can really boast about but then if you look at the other side of it we do really suffer from brain drain i mean how do you expect the nation to go forward if you know we keep losing our best people to the west that's true i mean despite being one of the world's youngest country in terms of demographic dividend india has only 2% of its workforce skilled compared to you know 96% in south korea or approximately 75% in germany i think all these years we have focused a lot on building higher education and did very little to enhance the employability quotient which is very important for you know the job sector in general while we're winning the doctor engineer and the scientist race we do need to keep in mind that we need a better pr strategy hollywood has been quite successful in showcasing a glamorous life and you know fulfilling the american dream but we need more artists like bts we need more movies like parasite and we need more diplomats who can actually use our soft power to you know boldly represent us on a global stage yeah absolutely and talking about public perception let's let's talk a little bit about singapore because it seems like no one really knows what the economy of singapore is all about yeah singapore is like the tail of two cities you know it blends free market stance will with really well thought out socialist policy i mean it might seem like a typical capitalist paradise with some of the lowest tax rates in the world but at the same time the state uh, spends a lot on public welfare as opposed to the austerity enforced in the west in the name of capitalism 
मतलब हाउ एग्जैक्टली आर दे स्पेंडिंग ऑन पब्लिक वेलफेयर इफ दे आर टैक्सिंग पीपल सो व्हाट हैपेंस इज द सिंगापुर स्टेट ओन्स 90% ऑफ कंट्री प्लांट यू नो व्हिच इज डायरेक्टली डेवलप्ड स्पेशली फॉर रेसिडेंशियल पर्पसेस नाउ द मेजॉरिटी ऑफ सिंगापुर्स पॉपुलेशन लिव्स इन द हाउसिंग कंस्ट्रक्टेड बाय द कंट्रीज पब्लिक हाउसिंग एजेंसी व्हिच इज नॉट इन द केस ऑफ अदर कंट्रीज हु मोस्टली डिपेंड ऑन प्राइवेट हाउसिंग स्कीम्स also other than that i think singapore also has very stiff taxes on luxuriance and goods like uh, alcohol tobacco and cars so the state then uses its funds to spend more on stuff like public transport which then discourages the use of more car and additionally i think they also have quite low corruption rates so i think in their case it all just adds up to a certain extent Right. I mean, Singapore is doing really well. But I recently read some reports on how uh, the Bangladeshi economy also has performed really well in recent times, going toe to toe with its big brother India. What exactly has caused this uh, sudden upsurge? You know, in fact, uh, after Bangladesh became became independent in 1971, many scholars actually felt that the country would remain a liability for the global community. and will have to just survive on foreign aid but uh, as you know you all are also aware bangladesh turned out to be an economic miracle i mean even after a series of natural disasters and several military coups bangladesh has in fact made substantial progress in reducing poverty and promoting economic growth yes i have you know read a bit about uh, the great ready made garments uh, industry the great rmg industry of bangladesh Uh, which sort of nearly employs, I think, forty lakh people, and also generates around eighty percent of Bangladesh's export income. So I think the industry has done really well and uh, brought Bangladesh on the map. And its stellar performance is a great example that whenever government has uh, cutting edge laser focus on any sector, it can work wonders for any country and economy. Even apart from that, great government. there has been a substantial inflow of funds from you know bangladeshi workers who are mostly living and working in the persian gulf states in uh, and apart from these huge remittances these all this entire strategy also calms the problem of unemployment in the nation besides bangladeshi government regardless of their ideological underpinning has taken steps to reduce infant mortality or even you know alleviate widespread malnutrition exists in their country uh intriguing stuff indeed i mean bangladesh really has made a name for itself on the basis of its super textile industry but uh, there's a, another miracle economy which you know rapidly transitioned from textiles to tech in just a span of mere decades the economy under spotlight is a classic david taiwan Actually, you know, nobody expected Taiwan to perform so spectacularly. Nestled between its arch nemesis China and an ultra-competitive ASEAN, Taiwan was destined for economic depravity and backwardness. But what followed has been the stuff of economic legends, is my in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the biggest savior for Taiwan has been its cutting-edge electronics manufacturing industry. which has an impressive world ranking of 4 by volume if i'm not wrong and taiwan's high public expenditure on research and development has definitely paid a rich economic dividend uh, for the country 
that's very true however i do think that the recent growth can be attributed to their uh, semiconductors industry so you know semiconductors are found in every modern device be it a mobile phone or electric car or laptop and taiwan's flagship company tsmc has been a recent pioneer in fabrication or manufacturing of semiconductors and that has played really well for their economy talking about tech again aren't we uh let's let's shift our focus a little to towards uh, south korea i mean the rapid modernization of the economy has been phenomenal uh in fact recently they grabbed a lot of headlines for a new policy called the new deal yes actually uh, the new deal you know has indeed been a very eye catching policy due to its uh, futuristic outlook so south korea has made a concrete plan to emerge as a digital hub and a huge amount of money has been set aside to create data centers uh, and if you know anything about ai you know that data is everything in artificial intelligence right so they are also planning to uh, cash on the ev gold rush uh south korea already has a lot of established automobile giants like renault kia and hyundai so making uh, you know this ev move actually makes sense for the economy yeah in fact south korea is already amongst the world's leading r&d spenders and that does really indicate a culture of innovation promoting bureaucrats and policy makers so such an initiative does make sense absolutely uh the koreans are also very laser focused on sustainable development uh so zero carbon emissions have actually been a landmark goal of the new deal and for the for this the government has uh, actually planned very innovative solutions very creative stuff like uh, building uh, green and digitally smart primary schools uh, also investing in specifically in research and development of uh, renewable energy and also adopting solar panels and green heating in public places yeah but after the pandemic disrupted supply chains around the world many companies actually decided to shift their production from china to other asian nations and i discovered how the vast majority of them were opting for vietnam than any other nation you know the government there is really just banking on xenophobia to attract more and more manufacturers i mean it does already have a strong manufacturing industry and the moderately developed infrastructure uh, along with the availability of semi skilled workforce does work in its favor yeah i mean the communist government in vietnam uh, seems to be quite reform friendly you know in an effort to make vietnam more regionally competitive the country even slashed corporate income tax rates and obviously that will and has attracted a lot of foreign companies another notable step which uh, vietnam has taken up is to open up its economy and i can't believe i'm saying this about a communist regime nonetheless uh, you know so what they've done is they've actually opened up their economy by signing uh, many free trade deals with uh, various countries and i think the world bank estimates that their gdp will increase by 4 to 5% due to this also uh, ironically actually vietnam's biggest export partner has been none other than the united states of america with which it waged a 19 year war so stuff is getting quite interesting here. 
you know if you think about it this their situation sounds really similar to that of china in the early 1980s when it was just at the cusp of opening up its economy yes compared to others their strategy does sound you know a bit conventional anyway um now let's focus a bit on the nation which actually inspired uh, the four asian tigers and that is japan there's something about japan that is quite intriguing do you find it intriguing because of anime i mean is that why you're so fascinated by japan <laughs> i mean that is a contributing factor but apart from anime and their glorious culture japan is and has been doing well economically as well yeah i mean a defining factor was the nation's unique economic position during the cold war with exports going to both the united states and soviet aligned powers they really played smartly over there and another key element of japanese success was the kairatsu so kairatsu is basically a japanese term referring to a business network made up of different companies you know where all of them work together have close relationships sometimes also take small equity stakes in each other while uh, remaining operationally independent so some of the prominent kairatsus are uh, mitsubishi toshiba hitachi or even the world famous sony well to me uh, the japanese seem to be right on track so what exactly derailed their progress because if you look at the economy right now it is not as fast moving as other asian nations yeah so basically in the 1980s is uh, i mean that's when the japanese economy first started showing signs of serious strain when the bubble economy the speculative boom that generated hundreds of billions of dollars in um, bad corporate debt that bubble burst and it really brought on a deep persisted recession and essentially deflation in japan started in the early 1990s and over the course of two painful lost decades japan has pretty much lost most of its competitive edge and even to this day its economy continues to operate below its potential that's true i mean demographics will also haunt the japanese government uh, looking into the future The Japanese economy faces considerable challenges due to an aging and declining population. E- even projections suggest that population will continue to fall and drop below 100 million, you know, by the end of the 21st century. All things considered, I think effective change will only come if there's a rise in the ja- uh, Japanese younger generation. Here I have realized whenever we touch upon Asian economies one thing that keeps coming up is the 1997 Asian financial crisis. Yeah that's quite true because uh, the Asian financial crisis was actually a very big moment. So the Asian financial crisis was actually caused by the collapse of currency exchange rates and hot money bubble. So as Iman said it started in the year 1997 in Thailand and it actually had a domino effect in economies all across Asia and the main victim of this financial crisis was stuff like uh, currency value stock market and even uh, other asset prices which crashed uh, astronomically yeah a lot of economists and prominent economists like uh, nobel laureate paul krugman believe that the crisis was largely inevitable due to the um, the unsustainable nature of maintaining you know such high growth particularly when when a proportion of that growth was fueled by foreign uh, denominated investment yeah actually uh, and also 
the biggest economy to be hit by the Asian financial crisis was that of Indonesia. So you know its uh, GDP per capita contracted by around forty-four percent. I'm not sure. And also, however, the island nation seems to be right on track now because uh, despite its setbacks, uh, it seems to me like Indonesia is a country of the future. And this is because of its very large population and also a very uh, huge and young labor force. And obviously, they also have a growing consumer market. So for domestic companies, that's a big win. And I think the next five years will be very exciting time for Indonesia, and shall be a sort of a make or break moment for them. Hmm. Somewhat may I think it seems like the world is the oyster for the emerging economies of Asia, and whether we like it or not, China may just go to upstart the United States to become the new superpower. Absolutely. I mean, the economic balance seems to be shifting from the Atlantic to the Pacific. After all, let's not forget the 21st century isn't about the rise of Asia, but rather it's about the return of Asia. <laughs> That's true, and the West has no option but to adapt to the changes instead of cribbing about it. Um, that brings an end to today's episode. For the curious, we recommend the book "The Rise and Fall of Great Powers" by Paul Kennedy to understand the economic and socio-political changes behind tectonic shifts in the world power. This podcast was recorded by students of the Economics Association of Narsimhanji College of Commerce and Economics, Mumbai. To know more about the association, visit our website www.nmeconomicsassociation.in. Thank you so much for listening.